Hi, you're listening to the Raise the Vibe with Liz podcast. I'm your host, Liz Peterson. I interview today's inspirational speakers and healers. Thank you for listening to the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Raise the Vibe with Liz. I'm your host, Liz Peterson, and today I have Jamie Wolf, Meta Coach, founder and owner of Island Consulting and Training, and Tribe 525 joining me today. Hi, Jamie. Welcome to the show. Hey, Liz. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Great. So excited to have you join me again discussing nonviolent communication. I'm so excited about this topic and um, getting the information out there to all of our listeners. I am excited about that too. It's a great time to be talking about this topic. That's for sure. It really is. So let's start off. um, Why don't you share a little bit about yourself for people who aren't familiar with you? All right. Well, um, I I have uh, had a couple of different careers that have been interesting. I worked in the restaurant business until I was 30, where I learned an awful lot about human behavior. And I got my degree and then went into the world of probation, where I worked for 13 years and worked my way up in the ranks to supervisor uh, and then retired to our beautiful island, um, where now I have a business consulting uh, and training law enforcement professionals. Um, but I'm also now working with, which is really exciting, I just landed a, a sweet deal with <clears throat> uh, educators and um, foster parents who are actually working in foster care systems in California. So I'm loving that. And then I have a private practice where I work uh, with people around their deep-seated issues and really wanting to make a pivot and a change in their life. So uh, my big question is, what are you doing with the currency of your life? You know, we have so much time to live our life and how do we want to, how do we want to live it? So that's really where I'm at. I love it. I get to work one-on-one with people, which is just delightful and gorgeous. Uh, And then I speak to large audiences uh, and now it's all on the Zoom platform. So I've really pivoted with that and have about 50 trainings that are scheduled before the end of December. So Uh, It's just worked out beautifully uh, for me, this transition. And here I am on my farm talking to you from this beautiful space in my little home office. So feeling really grateful. So that's fantastic, Jamie. Thank you for doing the work. Mm -hmm. And you too, Liz. Thanks. So let's start off. What is nonviolent communication? All right. I'm I'm actually going to start out with uh, read you a little thing, if you don't mind, from Pema Chodron. I'm sure sure you know who she is. I love Pema. And uh, she's writing here about um, self-improvement, which I like to talk about transformation, right? That we're living a life of choice and that we get to be conscious choosers in our life. Uh, What she says here is, self-improvement means that I'm going to be different than I am now. But if the view changes instead of the belief that there's nothing wrong here, I haven't done anything wrong, but that instead there are things obstructing me from from fully feeling self-improved well. Well, then let's just look at those things and know them completely and utterly. Let's know our rage. Let's know our fear. Let's know our resentment. And by knowing it and listening to what you say about yourself and letting some of the negative self-talk go, you know, then the fundamental thing is there. It's like the sun is always shining, but sometimes there's clouds obstructing it. And I just love what she says here, Liz, because ultimately, uh, and mostly in my work with uh, people in meta coaching, it's around 
who do I want to be? What is my intention of who do I want to be? And of course I act in these ways. I was raised in a dysfunctional family. It's what I learned. Of mm-hmm. course I've chosen these people to be in relationship with. And so now let's get really clear about what I do want. But the trick with NVC and the beautiful work of Marshall Rosenberg is let's not ignore the real feelings and the work. And, you know, people talk a lot in uh, circles and I don't know if you've heard this term, but spiritual bypass. Have you heard that term? Yeah. Could you explain that though for our listeners who might, yeah. might not know that term? You bet. So spiritual bypass is a thing that's very popular and a lot of teachers, they don't call it this, of course, uh, but it's basically, they say things like, well, that was then and this is now, let's move on. And in my work, <clears throat> what I know is true is, yes, that was then and this is now, but that we harbor and hold on to at a cellular, physical level, a psychological, physiological level, we were trained to be certain ways because of our upbringings and our parents. And so what I have found where real healing and long lasting change in our lives occur is when we are able to acknowledge what happened and talk about it and unpack those situations in a way that is so beautifully healthy. Not to say that didn't happen and I'm fine now. You can't Mm -hmm. just, one cannot just be fine now. That's actually repression. And what happens when people repress their feelings and emotions is that eventually, Liz, it's going to come out sideways. So the work for us to do, and we're seeing this on the world stage right now, is to look at 400 years of oppression is painful. What happened in Portland yesterday, um, mothers who are walking arm in arm singing, uh, please don't kill me, hands up, please don't kill me. Uh, And they got um, gassed yesterday for that. Like these things, it's normal. And my job is to normalize feelings. And Marshall Rosenberg celebrated that we have feelings and they're healthy. And someone who doesn't feel shocked and upset about that, well, there's the work. Therein lies the work. So spiritual bypass would say, yeah, that happened over there. It doesn't affect me. Well, the truth is that it's painful one way or another. So how do we look at things and look at our feelings and needs in ways that really can uh, help us be fully human? And it's okay to feel rage. It's okay to feel anger. Of course we feel that way. And then the question is, what am I going to do with that? And that's where intention comes in. So uh, there's a couple of books I want to recommend. Can I just talk about those? The first one is The Language of Emotions. I love this book so much. And the writer is a woman named uh, Carla McLaren, and it's a beautiful book. I highly recommend it. And if you have children, this is like something that should be on your dinner table. So, honey, you're feeling angry or sad, for instance, or you're having grief. You just open up. She has each emotion. It's super cool. And it says, what are the gifts of this emotion? So let's talk about grief, for example. Um, the gifts are complete immersion in the river of all souls that the question, and then she sets out these questions, what is it that must be mourned and what must we release? So what I'm thinking about in terms of what's happening on the world stage and in Portland presently, we're at the 21st of July today. If you're not aware, you can just look in the news at that with these mothers is, you know, the, the, the gate of grief of mourning what I hoped would be and I know isn't. 
right? I believed that we've made great progress in this world in terms of, um, of um, cultural competence and inclusivity and to see what's happening now. And for me also, the gate of grief of, I work with law enforcement professionals. And when I see these things happening, I think, what is going on? Why would you do this to women standing there arm in arm? Like what is happening? Well, when we're in touch with our emotions, we can understand why. So what are those officers feeling? We can have compassion and empathy for them. We can have compassion and empathy for the mothers. We can look at the big and. And Marshall's work was around, don't do your right or your wrong. Let's sit down with each other and look what our precious needs are. And he's referring to Maslow, although he didn't, he didn't ever name Maslow, but Maslowian needs. What are my basic human needs in a situation? And when we look at that scenario, Liz, the mothers have a need for safety and peace right. and the officers have a need for safety and peace and continuity on both sides. So when we start to look at those tools, so Marshall was a brilliant man and he talked a lot about one of the most important things we can do is to have an emotional vocabulary. And most people I meet and work with have a vocabulary an emotional vocabulary about two words. So I'm fine, which actually isn't a feeling. Um, or, you know, I am I right? And so when we really want to have intimate, close, deep relationships or understand the other, it becomes incumbent upon us to really develop an emotional vocabulary. And most of us did not get that training as children. It's just a matter of training. Right. So in NBC, nonviolent communication, what we use a lot are these, these are my particular branded cards that, you know, I made for myself. Uh, usually there's a deck of needs and a deck of feelings. And because I like simplicity, I put one on one side and one on the other. So it's easy. Nice. That's great. But that you created those cards. Yeah, I love them. And so let's say, Liz, that um, I'll use an example of this morning. Uh, I live in community on a farm and uh, this person who's just one of my dearest friends came in and she was started just telling me and she was actually singing the chant of the mothers, um, please don't shoot me. And with their hands up, hands up, please don't shoot me. And I said, what's going on? And, you know, she's tearful. She's like really tearful about what's happening. And I don't need the cards anymore to know what is she feeling, grief, sadness, um, and what are her needs to be heard um, she has a longing for peace and ease, right? This is a person who's a child of the 60s um, and has fought for inclusion and justice her whole life. And so uh, how can I show up as a human? And what, what Marshall informs us about is that most people get caught up in what do I need in this? I was just having my coffee and it was kind of like a big woo first thing in the morning. So my needs were actually for peace and ease and I had a late night last night. So... <clears throat> I'm always a choice. My choice this morning was to say, how can I show up for you and to sit down and get present? Because my intention with my friends is always that I'm going to be here for you and I'm going to show up. And so then I just listened to her tell me this story of really, she's really grieving what she had hoped would be in our world and is not. Uh, and seeing all these images of not only our black and brown friends, um, but now really just mothers, they're standing there doing nothing. And so, you know, her, her words were, it's getting worse and it's not getting better. How, how are we going to fix this? So what are the needs behind yeah. that piece? <clears throat> Freedom, love, compassion, hope to be seen, 
to matter, you know, all of those, those pieces. Right. So, and, and Marshall Rosenberg, and I've, I love this, he would have people sit down. And so, of course, I studied in VC in a couple of places. I studied in the Bay Area, which was a very different experience than when I studied in Santa Cruz. So in Santa Cruz, I was, you know, with a more kind of a um, very a white uh, crowd and lovely people. Uh, I learned a ton. There's a, a teacher in the Santa Cruz area of NBC named Kristen Masters, who is truly a master. If you're in that area and you want to do some good work, she's just wow. wow. She's a wow human and she's a wow teacher. And then I spent a year in an immersion program in the San Francisco area learning Marshall's work. And this was very different experience. It was working with Black Lives Matter. This was when Black Lives Matter, I didn't even know who they were. It was a brand new thing. Um, uh, it was uh, after the, um, the shooting in uh, Fruitville Station, a man who was handcuffed and on his stomach. All of these things were just starting to emerge. And also in that group of people I studied with for a year was the LGBTQIAS2 community. Um, and so I learned a ton. I, I fall on that continuum in a couple different places, but let me tell you, there were people there and I was like, explain to me and how, what is this and how do you live and what's true about that? So I really got an exposure to, I had no idea that people, I didn't realize how closed-minded I was about the limitations of how people live in relationship, that there's lots of different ways to express that. Um, and then we also had uh, Palestinians and Israelites there that, you know, these are people who have hated each other for thousands of years. And so I got to witness, Liz, Black Lives Matter talking, talking to police. I got to witness um, and talking about what are your needs and showing up and how that looked. And then, you know, these people in the rooms with each other that I got to watch it work and there's nothing better than I don't really agree with you, but man, can I see what you need right now? And mm -hmm. so how can we get your needs met and how can we get my needs met rather than making each other wrong and then attacking each other and going to war? Right. Which is what we're seeing right now in our country, just a, yeah. a war of values. Definitely. Yeah. So... What are the benefits and what does it foster, especially in situations like we're experiencing right now? Uh, of nonviolent communication? <clears throat> yes. Well, I think the first important thing, Liz, is to, to get clear that um, we need to develop really extraordinary boundaries at times like this. So I'm going to recommend a second book, which is called Mindset. It's one of my favorite. It's by Carol Dweck. And um, Dr. Dweck talks about that there's really two kinds of people, uh, not that either one of them, th these are, we're going to categorize right now just for the sake of simplicity, um, but these two kinds of people, there's a person who has a learner's mindset and there's people who have what's called fixed mindset. Now, Liz, in my everyday life, I don't engage with people who have fixed mindset. I am aware that they, the way that they communicate is to tell me what I should know and to tell me how I should be and to tell me how I should act. Um, so I'll use the example of my Uncle, Bo Uncle Bobby. He's gone now, but 
you know, my Uncle Bobby knew who I should marry, how I should wear my hair, how I should look, who I should vote for. And he was happy to tell me all those things. <laughs> it never occurred to him. I mean, boy, if he could see me now, wouldn't it be interesting? Yes. Um, so it's the opposite of self-determination, but also offering people dignity to decide who, who do I want to be on my own? And let me tell you who I am rather than you telling me. So um, I've studied this extensively, the work of Carol Dweck in airports. And I can now pretty, in about two seconds, tell, is this a growth-minded person? So can I sit next to this person? Do they have growth mindset? And if I do, then I'm interested in them because they're going to have a, a communication with me where we're sharing and there's mutual respect for your opinion. You have something to offer to the conversation. I see you. Um, tell me about yourself. I'm curious. And it's all about curiosity. Right. So Marshall's work, he didn't describe it this way. I'm using my own words, but his whole work was around, let's get curious. What an opportunity to learn what is happening on the other side of the bridge for this human that I don't understand why they're doing what they do. Mm -hmm. But when I stop for a moment and if I have, if I've done my work with this and I, you don't have to go get cards, folks, um, uh, you can go online, but these are really great. And so when I'm working individually one-on-one -on -one with people, I have them do a needs and feelings inventory every day so that they start to get the vocabulary. And then all of a sudden it's like, what am I feeling? Oh, I'm actually feeling happy, but I'm also feeling grief. And can I hold these two feelings at once? Yes, I can. So then the work becomes, now what do I do with my spouse? So we use those to do inventories where we make empathy guesses. What is my spouse feeling? What do they need in this moment? And can I choose to show up for that? Or do I want to just put up a boundary and say, you know, this is, I'm at a no. And, and so with that, I'm at choice rather than being run by my amygdala. We've talked a lot about that amygdala, mm -hmm. that part of the brain that, that operates from right, wrong, this, that. You're, it's black or white. I know the truth. I know what's wrong. I have a neighbor down the street. He was so interesting. And he said to me today, uh, not today, one day, he said, Jamie, um, he, we share a, a wood splitter and I was down there. We have very different, very different worldviews. Um, and he said, I want to talk to you about this situation, about addiction. And I said, tell me about this. What's going on? And he said, well, first of all, we have to agree that there's a right and a wrong. And I said, I'm just going to stop you right there because I don't even know what you're talking about. But um, like, like, what is that? And he says, you know, well, the right way to live is this way with this religion, with these set of ideas. And I said, so I just need to tell you, I love you. And we're not going to have this conversation because I get to choose what's right for me. And if you want to have a conversation about this addiction thing in a way that's open-minded and curious and why would people go there? Because all the addicts I know, Liz, they have one profound need and it's for peace. Mm -hmm. And when they're high, they get peace. And you know what? I can relate to that. I need some peace sometime. I don't use drugs to, to find that. I use the forest or some other healthy way, but they just don't have a healthy way to cope with it. So kind of back to what Pim right. is saying this morning, if I stop judging it and just look at it and say, what is this? And get curious about what is the need? I have a need to be seen. Wow. You know, who are my friends where I can really be seen for who I am? I'm going to go make a phone call instead of 
going to sit in front of the television or eating something or raging or whatever else. So I love that. Can I read you another quote? Sure. I love this. This is uh, anyone who knows Oprah Winfrey knows that she is completely, um, really, really, one of the most important concepts to her is intention. She actually has a, a sign on her door that says, please check your, please check your intention before you enter my office. I love that. <laughs> and, um, and so that's about, you know, personal responsibility. What is my intention? And the premise of NBC has to be that my intention for me is that I want to have a loving conversation. We don't have to agree where there's space for both of us to be who we are, to speak our truths in kind ways, and where we both have enough, we offer dignity to the other person, and that that person can have self-determination, and I'm going to create space for them. Tell me. I'm curious about your views. So it says here from Oprah, the number one principle that rules my life is intention. Thought by thought, choice by choice, we are co-creating our lives based on the energy of our intention. And I love that. This is a beautiful book called The Wisdom of Sundays. This is actually um, on Audible. This is a book that uh, is... This is just some quotes. The audible version of this is, whoa, mind-blowing. She has some of the greatest teachers on there. It's really gorgeous. So first of all, it's getting clear about in this conversation in NBC, do I want to be right and win? Because if I do, that's okay. But let's acknowledge that by saying something like, you know, Liz, I've really heard your opinion and I just don't, I don't value it. Or, you know, I'm not open to your opinion. We're not going to have this conversation. And acknowledging that mm-hmm. NBC is not about being nice. And um, I don't know about you, but I've gotten in a lot of trouble by being nice. How about you? Yes. Yeah. Right. So Lots nice, of boundary, right. you know, crop, people can cross your boundaries when you're nice on time. Right. And nice meaning not a healthy nice. Uh, <laughs> you know, some of the, I love Brene Brown. What does she say? Some of the nicest people I know are the most boundary people I know because we know what's, what's really true for them. Yeah. Yeah, there's that too. Yeah. So, you know, Marshall has a huge body of work. I invite people to go look at him. I'll tell you that Marshall is a nerd and and I'm just going to call him that. I might get some (laughs) some letters about this, but he sings songs and he plays his guitar and he likes puppets and he plays with puppets to to make examples. And so um, I'm able to listen to Marshall now. I remember when I was first introduced to him and I listened to him, I thought, you've got to be kidding me, right? It's just, you know, this guy is a total nerd. Um, but I love him. And one of my favorite little books, so you can see how thin it is, Marshall Rosenberg is uh, Getting Past the Pain Between Us. This is a beautiful little $4 book uh, that's Marshall. Um, and then I also love this uh, book, Speak, Speak Peace in a World of Conflict. So, you know, of course, if your intention is peace, great. If your intention is to be right and win, if you have fixed mindset, then this isn't the work for you. So just go be right. And we're seeing that on the world stage right now. Mm-hmm. So I can't even hear who you are. I can't even see that your intention um, as humans in this Portland thing is to lock arms and talk about our children. And they wore little um, bicycle hats and some of them said mom on the side and they were protecting the people who are doing peaceful protest and they got tear gassed. You know, what is that about? So can I sit down with the officer who pulled that trigger and figure out with him what was your need in that moment and i know what it was 
it's safety and security and power in my world and order and a need to matter and be seen and a need for a common understanding and shared reality, right? Law enforcement professionals have a high need for order. Mm -hmm. And those women, I'm one of them, and those women um, are out of order. So, you know, I can force you, which is the opposite of nonviolent communication, or I can try to see what is it that you're trying to do here. And we've seen lots of examples of beautiful officers um, actually taking a knee with, with peaceful protesters and really showing up as rock star human beings. We've seen lots of that as well. Yeah. So yeah. That's Marshall. Good to have examples of that during this time for sure. Yeah. You may not know Liz that on our Island um, we're an NVC hub. I didn't know that. So um, the person mm-hmm. who was Marshall Rosenberg's personal assistant lives on our Island with her husband. Uh, she's a beautiful woman. Uh, and so she was with Marshall through all the formative years. And I had the privilege of sitting and having dinner with him one night and getting to pick her brain about who he really was. Nice. Um, I love him. I love her. She's just gorgeous. And then uh, lots of people offer all kinds of NBC classes and workshops. And every summer, pre-COVID, pre-pandemic, um, there was a massive gathering here on the island where people would come from all over the world and learn NBC and in-depth study. So that's uh, that's here. And then the other big hub that I love is in uh, Santa Cruz, California. Uh, very different, but the, I think the hardest work, and when I say hardest, like the most rewarding deep dive, wow, kind of work is being done in the Bay Area. Um, and that, that group is called Bay NBC. You can just Google them. Um, and uh, there's a woman that I just took workshops with uh, online. Call, uh, her name is Roxy Manning, and Dr. Manning talks about all kinds of really hard topics in a way that we can look at around privilege and what does that even mean mm-hmm. and how am I using mine? What is my intention? So in NBC, we don't fear <clears throat> away from things. We can say things like, Yes, I have privilege and this is what it is. I'm standing here in a nice suit in a beautiful island with plenty of money and safety and security when so much of the world is not living that way. That's a privilege. I'm grateful for that. So um, people can go online and look up um, CNVC, which is uh, kind of the international group. They can look at international NVC groups. I, I NVC groups, uh, talk groups, there's meetup groups. Uh, the quality of them is, you know, different. It's not like you're going to go to your first doctor and love them. So yeah. there's some interviewing that has to take place uh, and really looking at what's my stuff and who am I? And can I tolerate this other person here in front of me who is profoundly different than I am and create space for them to be themselves. And then Marshall Rosenberg talked about um, using NVC to create very specific boundaries. So there's a lot of people that talk about Marshall Rosenberg and I kind of get cranky about this and they'll say like, you know, Marshall was a goody two shoes and everything was okay and we should always be all right. That is n- was not his message. He was very, very clear about us knowing what's okay with me and what's not. And part of nonviolent communication is being able to say in a loving way, I really hear what it is that you're trying to express. And I can appreciate that we have a very different opinion and I'm not willing to spend my time speaking in a way that is like this. So a friend was telling me about, they were at dinner um, 
their actually one of their friends was telling them the story that the friend was at dinner and um with some people and they live not here they live in a different state and someone was saying at dinner um they started talking about and actively using the n-word so this is an opportunity if i know nbc to be able to say this is not okay with me right, right? and then if i know my intentions which my intention is never to support overt racism and to speak to it directly. That's right. me. I'm not suggesting that to anyone else. Then the question becomes, how do I do that in a way that's effective? So in this situation, what would I say? And Marshall Rosenberg teaches a thing called an offner. And so it's what is my observation? So in that case, it would be when you said the N-word. And then what is my feeling? I felt sad, upset, angry, frustrated surprised, shocked. And then our need, which is because I have a need for equality, peace, respect, dignity, shared reality with my friends, and then making a request. And, you know, the request, Liz, was Marshall's, it's delicious. I'm not going to make a demand of you. I'm not going to say, you need to shut the F up. That, that, that would be a demand, which might be what comes up in me, but instead making a request. I'm going to ask that you would never use that language around me again. I'm going to actually invite you uh, to know that that is never okay, ever, ever, ever for you to use that word. I don't care how you're using it. Never do we get to use that. And that's when life gets interesting. And that's when we also have to talk about boundaries and being really clear about who am I. Because in that scenario, I would have actually done the offner when I hear you say the word in. I use the N-word. I don't care in what context. I feel sad, frustrated, upset, disgusted, horrified. And I have a need for peace and love and inclusion and diversity and kindness. And I'm wondering uh, if you would be willing to say something different right now. And I'm also going to tell you that I'm, I'm, I'm really going to, I get that people make a mistake. So I'm going to give you a moment here. But if it wasn't a mistake, I need to tell you that I'm I'm not willing to be friends with someone that would use a hateful term about anybody, Mm -hmm. not just that one. So my request is, would you like to have a discussion about this that's loving and kind and talk about it? And if they say, nope, I get to say what I get to say, great, you're at choice. You keep saying whatever it is that you want to say, and I'm going to choose to get up from the table and leave because I, I don't stay in places where hate is espoused. It's not okay. You and I have talked a lot about, right, boundaries. Mm-hmm, yeah. And the key is getting clear about who am I. I can, that is actually setting down a boundary. And I'm not telling that person, you know, you're horrible. I'm speaking to their behavior, right? right. The behavior is disgusting to me. You're not disgusting to me. You're a human. You get to feel whatever you want to feel. It's, it's the, still the great United States of America where we're free to express our feelings and I don't have to sit there and listen to it. I get to choose to leave and choose who my friends are, what I put in my world. So in this conversation, the person was expressing to this friend that, you know, um, they didn't say anything. And, and so why wouldn't they? Does that make them a bad person? No, it means they haven't thought about this. They haven't gotten clear about what are my feelings so that I can notice them bubble up in that situation. 
you know, and Liz, I think, I think I can say this, you can edit it out, but you know, I think you're, you identify as an empath, right? Is that one of the ways that you yes. yourself? Yeah. Yes. So, you know, your feelings are always bubbling up. I'm imagining you have a potent uh, emotional vocabulary. Is that accurate? I have been working on that for many years now, mm-hmm. growing as I get older, for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, how does it feel mm-hmm. when you're, when you, when it just comes up and you know, like right now, Ooh, or, Oh, I love that feeling or whatever. Right. Oh, it feels good to be able to have a voice now to be able to participate and share where I am, where the other person is and have a conversation about that, yeah. you know, and not just, you know, possibly sit there in shock and right. not know what to say or, you know, let it slide, mm-hmm. you know, those circumstances. So it's good to, you know, have that emotional vocabulary now for sure. Mm-hmm. And I encourage people to get in touch with themselves and, you know, create that, you know, vocabulary for yourself to be able to have a voice, you know, right. in those moments that are difficult. And, and even if I don't know what to say or do in that moment, there's also a beautiful, delicious thing called a do-over. I can go back and say, you know, I sat there, I didn't say anything, but I thought about this. And I want to have a conversation with you about what you said. And I'm wondering if you're open to that. That's great. And, and then the person can say no. And then I say, okay, now I'm a choice, right? Mm-hmm. So my friends, the people I hang out with, are willing to have what I call sweaty conversations about things. Um, and they call me on things uh, in a in a very loving way. Lots of lots of um, shared reality, and people might say rules around. I'm super open to hearing your feedback. I'm never open to hearing criticism. Criticism is just being critical. Yeah. If you have an idea about how I can better myself, I'm super open to that. Uh, and someone pointed out to me. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I might've said this in our last thing, I'm not sure, but that when I'm talking about people, I identified and I'm like, I, I, did, I was unaware of this, right? So this is the part where, oh, Jamie, of course you do that. You were raised by people in the deep South who identified everyone by their race. Of course you did this. And I can have some self-empathy around that. And then I can decide, do I want to continue to be that person or not? So how does it sound? And also the impact on the other person was not how I intended it. I'm interested in ethnicities. So when I'm talking about that, it's more from a place of interest. But what I saw was the impact was that you're identifying black and brown people, but you don't identify a white person. So you are in in this person and they express their own things. The way that it impacts me is that I hear you identifying them as the other. Like, instead of getting defensive, it was like, that's painful. It's the last thing I would intend. And in fact, that is the impact. So what is the impact of our words? How can I be aware of this? Can we create spaces where people are safe to, safe to say, Jamie, I'm observing this and I'd like to make a request and this person requested that I don't do that with them anymore. Great. That would be great. And so, of course, I took it and thought about it and thought, I don't want to do that at all. And is my behavior change going to be immediate? No. I got 55 years of training with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I do want is to be surrounded by people who say, you just did that thing and I can have a do-over. Right. This is how we change behavior. 
have a do-over. Thank you for pointing that out. Appreciate that. Yeah. Awareness is really everything. You know, bringing awareness to those patterns that we have, mm -hmm. you know, and then you can realize, oh, I'm doing it again, but I'm aware that I'm doing it. And then maybe following is like, okay, I could step into that, but I'm not going to because I have awareness around this. So I'm going to choose a different thing right now. And then right. eventually, you know, rewiring the brain and just automatically choosing. But that takes time. It you takes know, a lot of time. After 50 years, you know, it takes time to, you know, have that awareness pinpoint it when you're doing it and then shift it. Right. Ooh, it's work. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is that I find myself in the pit. Oh, I'm doing something I don't love. I am going to choose to pivot and, and making a pivot requires that I do something different. And, you know, this is really the crux of my work. And people will say to me, well, how do I know where I need to pivot? And I say, look at the, look at the results of your life. How's it going? How are your relationships? Are they dynamic and loving? No. You hang out with people who are, are total drags and just negative Nancys. Make a different choice. Pivot. Go get some friends. Decide you know, what kind of friendships you would love to have and then go find those people and invite them to be a part of your life, right? And yes. you're, not, you're not stuck. Well, they've been my friend 25 years. You're at choice. You know, where do you want to have them in your auditorium? You want them right up close where they're influencing you all the time or do you want them far away? So this is really an important, uh, an important piece. So yeah, I love Marshall Rosenberg. I have to tell you of all the things I'm dating again. And, and somebody asked me a question, you know, these dating questions, what do you <laughs> think was one of the things that had the most profound influence on you as an adult? And he, he was on my list. There's lots of people, but he's definitely on my list. The tools to be able to stop in a moment when I'm triggered or activated and think about what's happening inside of me right now. What are my needs? What, what, what's actually true here? And then asking myself, that's the impact of this person's words. Was that their intention? What are their needs? What are they actually expressing? And then getting curious and in the moment being able to say, would you be willing to help me? The story I'm telling myself, one of Marshall's favorite things, the story I'm telling myself is that you just use this word and in my world, it's a really hateful, horrible word. Would you be willing to tell me more? Now, this, this requires that I've gone to, I've done my reps already. I've thought about how am I going to respond in this situation? What am I going to say when something like this comes up? And the reason people don't do the work, Liz, is because I have to know who I am. If I don't know who I am, I'm going to not do anything in that moment. If I mm -hmm. haven't done my worthiness work, I'm going to be quiet. If I haven't done my I matter work, I'm going to sit there quietly. If I haven't done my what do I really believe about inclusivity and, and um, being a conscious chooser around, um, um, you know, what's happening in current events. So to me, it doesn't work when people say I don't have an opinion. So you're going to be a go along to get along. I have a friend who calls herself a go along. She's actually not my friend anymore. A go along to get along. I can't stand that. So what are you? You're like a nebulous being with, you have no opinion about anything. Who am I friends with? Whatever's flapping in the wind. I, I don't get it. And this is where it becomes hard because when, when a person, and I see this in my work with individuals, they start to identify who am I? 
what do I want in my life? What are my, what are the areas for me that are not working? My areas of dissatisfaction. What is my vision for my life and getting clear about that? One of the things I wrote when I was doing this work, I was working with this woman, she's retired now named Christine King. She's just one of my greatest teachers. And one of the, she had me write out these statements. And one of the statements was, I don't hang out with dead horses. So I, I, I loved it. I'm not even sure where it came from, but you know, one of Chris's teachings was we have a dead horse relationship that it's done. There's nothing else there, but we keep going back to it and digging a hole and picking up the skin and the rotting flesh and then trying to revive it or worse, ride the horse. The horse is dead. There's nothing here for me anymore. And be able to lovingly say, you know, God bless you and give me back my key. It's we, we've done, we've done what we've done here. Um, so I love those lessons. And I think it's really challenging for people when I know it's really challenging when I'm working with them to look at those things. Cause then I have to identify well, in my childhood, I learned that I had to be nice no matter what people did and keep giving people more and more chances. And that's painful to look at. Most people, they're like, I don't even want to look at that. Oh, gosh. Yes, yes. Yeah. You want to say anything about that? No, just keep going. I'm yeah. right with you. <laughs> right. Well, one of the types of trauma um, that I, I took this, did this online series. I recommend this. This was is rock star stuff. It's called the Treating Trauma Master Series. And um, the group is the National Institute for the Clinical Application of Behavioral Medicine. And if you look at the names here, um, these are some of the top people around trauma. And so in this course of study, which is very affordable, um, they actually give you transcripts. And so I followed along. But what I learned in this class, the most valuable thing I learned is that trauma is not just trauma. There's certain types of trauma and I learned what my two big traumas are, right? This piece of self-awareness. And one of them is called inescapability. So as a child, I couldn't get away. I couldn't do anything different. I learned that I have to stay and make the best of this situation. Well, big light goes on, you know, at 53 years old. Oh my goodness. I don't have to stay in this relationship. It's not working for me anymore. Didn't I do that dead horse work years ago? Oh yeah, here it is again. This is not something that I want. It doesn't match my values. So I'm going to gently and lovingly step out of this situation and wish you well. Uh, and that's hard for people because deep work requires, I have to look at myself, what do I want? And then do my friends match? I'll be able to say, well, Jamie, why does it matter so much? You know, I've been friends with that person for 25 years. You know why? Because, and I've said this on your show before, the five people we hang around with, rule of five, I will become the average of the five people that I spend the most time with. I can't help it. They rub off on me in good ways and bad ways. So I love my friends to have a vocabulary of nonviolent communication. Some people just have it naturally. They don't have to study Marshall's work. I, I grew up in a family where there was a lot of hate talk and harsh harsh, not NBC words. So for me, I had to go to work and really look at all the, the patterned ways. And I'm far from there, boy. When I'm upset, it still comes out. But I sit down with my cards and I do the work and I look at what's true here. And what do I need to do or say in this situation? What are they feeling and needing? And I know enough to take a time out. Hit the pause. Let's hit the pause button here. 
and I, I, I need to go take a little bit of time with this. Would you be willing to tell me your needs and feelings in this situation? Mm-hmm. So I've said a lot. What do you think? Nice, Jamie. I think it's all great informative information. For the end of our show, though, I really want you to take a circumstance and really break it down in those, the four components of nonviolent communication for us. The observe and recap, describing your emotions, identifying your needs, and then making that request. You gave a great example, but could you give us another one to finish up with? So we have kind of a diverse way of looking at how to break it down and some tools, some tools for our listeners to be able to walk through that. Do you want a situation with someone that I, I love and I want to keep in my life? Or do you want a situation where I'm setting a boundary and actually changing or terminating the, the relationship? Mm -hmm. Well, I think you did that with the last example. So let's do one with someone we love in our life. Okay. So someone I love in my life. Um, so I have a friend who I love. She's in my top five for lots of reasons. She lives in another state. I want to be careful, which is a state where, um, they have very different values and outlooks than we have here. Uh, she's, um, older and she's lived a long time around a lot of people who have very distinctive values and um, of course, we became friends and I rocked her world because I'm pretty different than anybody else looks like in her world. And we love each other. Now, I love this person. I love her. We were having a conversation one day and she said, I'm just really struggling with this Black Lives Matter. I, I'm struggling. And when I hear it, everything inside of me just like I want to scream. I can't even hear it. It just bothers me so much. Now, this is someone I love talking about an organization that I spent a year with and I knew those human faces. I knew who they were. I heard their suffering. I understand what the group is, not the fringe whatevers that are doing weird stuff, but the real Black Lives Matter. Like, I, wow. So what do we do? I noticed inside immediately. What am I feeling? Oh my gosh. Sadness, grief, shock, despair, surprise, deep love caring, tenderness. What are my needs? Shared reality, peace, kindness, generosity, um, um, equality, lots of those sorts of things. So in this moment, I said, would you be willing to describe for me the feelings? So I'm just going to take me out of the picture. Would you be willing to describe for me in that moment your feelings of when you hear Black Lives Matter or BLM or you see it uh, painted on the street or someone carrying a sign or chanting Black Lives Matter, Black Lives what happens inside of you? And she, of course, she's emotionally intelligent and she said, I feel scared and terrified and vulnerable and um, said, what, what are your needs? And she said, I have a need for continuity and safety right now. Now we've got something to talk about, right? Here's the hook. So safety to you, sweetheart, is that you know what's true in your community and things aren't changing. We've already got so much change with COVID and all of this other stuff that's happening. 
you're having to do a big pivot in your career, you're at a health risk, you're not able to see your grandchildren. And she just, you know, said, oh my gosh, you know, this is exactly what it is. And I said, so you can't get upset at COVID. You can't get upset at your grandchildren because they can't come over because you're in a a risk, high risk population. You can't get upset with your friends that they can't come. What is it that's safe to get upset with strangers who you don't actually understand what's true about them? So let's just talk about your need for peace and ease and continuity right now and take the blame off of them. Can you do that? Yeah, I can do that. Of course I can. So what's really happening for you? And she's like, oh my God, you know, my whole life I've worked, blah, blah, blah. And there are all these changes. I'm having to switch on my business. I'm older and I took some risk financially and it didn't work out for me. And now I'm nervous and I'm scared and terrified. And I know how things are in my world. So I just loved her through it and just kept holding on to her because she matters to me. And so what's happened now? The other day she called, we didn't have another conversation about it. The other day she called and she said, I was watching where they painted Black Lives Matter on the street in my town. And I have to tell you, it was beautiful. Did you see that? And I thought, right? So do I have the ability to create space for somebody to flower into what's true and and find their own truth? She might have said to me, I'm sorry, I just, I can't stand them. At which time I would have been in a different position to make a new choice. But we're always a choice. If I know who I am, I know it's okay. Is this a situation where I want to be right and win? I could have shamed her. I'm not going to do that. Or do I want to have connection? And if I want to connect with people, Marshall Rosenberg said, it's beautiful work. I have to be in touch and connected to myself first. What are my needs and feelings? Who am I in this moment? What is my intention? How do I want to show up? And what is the outcome that I want? And I hope I answered your question. Beautifully. Yeah. Thank you. So let's wind it back to responsibility because I like that piece and that would be another good thing to kind of discuss, you know, before the end of our show, you know, that personal responsibility, asking the questions. Mm -hmm. My responsibility, when we look at the root of that word, I am able to respond which is the opposite, Liz, I know you know this, of react. Mm-hmm. So in the moment, can I respond? And a, respond, a response requires that some thoughtful something. And one of the mistakes people make right away is I want, I want to respond right now. Right now might not be the best time. Like slow your roll. Say, I want to have a, I would like to respond to that. And I'm recognizing right now in myself, personal responsibility. I own me. And I'm not in my best place right now. So my response might not be loving and kind, which is my goal. So can we have this conversation tomorrow and bookmark this? I want to have some time to really come, come to you with something that's thoughtful. Is that possible? So yes, I'm responsible. I love the work of Marianne Williamson. And I love that she says a hundred times, every time she talks, not really, I'm exaggerating. <laughs> she says, you know, when you were being raised, when you were a baby, your parents gave that stuff to you and, and you couldn't help it. And you were a victim, but now you're a grown human and it's yours. And the question is, what am I going to do with it? Am I going to make myself response able by looking at and doing the deep dive work of taking full ownership for my life? 
so that I can be at choice in every single situation rather than my amygdala telling me what to do or some habit or who's talking or I'm going to be a go along to get along. Because the thing that I can't stand in ethics, it's called the anticipatory self-appraisal. What I can't stand is going home at night and knowing I should have done something different and I acted out of alignment with my personal values. And now I'm going to lay in bed and toss and turn about that. Uh, I'm going to go make it. I'm going to go make it up and have a do-over because mm-hmm. that's how I roll. Um, but you know, I think we just see really a dearth in our world right now of personal responsibility. You're responsible for you and your reaction, and what you're doing in your life. Uh, we were victims when we were children. Um, I was. I mean, I've heard a little bit about your story, but we're not little children anymore. Yeah. We're at choice. So another good group I want to recommend is Wing Seminars. If somebody wants to do a deep dive work around personal responsibility, so their website is www.wings, like flyingwithwings-seminars.com. And they do deep dives about personal responsibility and ownership and ownership language. That'd be a great topic to talk about too. Uh, people that use you instead of talking about I, I can't stand it. It makes me crazy. <laughs> ownership language. How do I really own my speech and who I am and what I'm asking for? You want to unwrap that a little bit more? We have some time. Okay. <clears throat> um, so ownership language. I just moved my office, Liz, and I'm sorry that I don't have right here. Uh, there's some things like, um, okay, so basically in our culture, we are enculturated to talk about you. So, you know, when you go to the store and you see the lasagna and the frozen food aisle, where did that come from? But, you know, and people say, yeah, I totally know. Well, it's ridiculous because what the person's actually telling us is a story about themselves. When I went to the store and I was standing in the, in the line and I saw the frozen lasagna, I was thinking about. So what happens when, when we use you language, it's an abdication of personal responsibility. That's no one's fault. We were, we were all socialized this way. But really conscious folks who really want to take ownership for the life, the first thing they do is get their language clean. So in my one-on-ones, this is something that we talk about uh, when I'm working with individual clients a lot. And so they'll say, you know, Jamie, and it's just they fall back in the pattern. It's just how we talk, right? Changing language patterns is really hard. So I say, I'm sorry, I'm confused. Are you talking about me? Because I, I, I don't live there and I've never actually been there. So, and they're like, oh, no, 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 no. When I was walking down the street and I saw this guy, I was thinking, Now, why is this important? Because our brains hear what we're talking about. And if I want to be in touch with my feelings, there's a difference between, I'll do one with you. You know, Liz, when you're in a relationship and you know, you know, when you get hurt and you know, when the person doesn't turn out to be how you wanted them to be and it's, it's sad and it's disappointing. You know what I mean, Liz? Actually, I don't know, Jamie. Can you explain how you're feeling about this person? snap, right? I mean, that's it. So why would I do that? Because I don't want to feel what's going to come up. Because when I say to you, hey, Liz, I want to talk to you about something. I I just ended this relationship and I'm feeling really, I'm just making stuff up right now, folks. I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling really sad and I have a ton of grief and I'm, man, I can just feel this in my body right now, even though I'm just making up a scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I re really had a lot of hope that this person, that it was going to work out. And there were so many beautiful qualities about them. And <clears throat> I'm just sitting with this sadness that I'm feeling. <sighs> I don't know. Liz, have you ever experienced anything like that? Yes. Yeah, I think a lot of our listeners probably have too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's kind of taking, you know, your awareness of your emotions and kind of unpacking them a little bit and using that to kind of unpack what is the cause of this feeling. So right. not only can these things help you in the moment, but they can help you kind of unpack where they originated from. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right. Uh, and so ownership language is, is so uh, interesting and it, then it will, it shoots off into all these other interesting areas around worthiness and how am I actually talking? How am I presenting myself? So um, walking into your restaurant and you say, uh, uh, you know, this was back pre COVID, but uh, here I have the seat right here and me saying, and this actually happened, it wasn't you, but one of the hostesses there you know, the truth is I don't want to sit in the middle of the restaurant. I don't like it. So I'm wondering, would it be okay if I waited and just sat? And she says, well, this is what we have right now. Ooh, isn't that juicy, right? And in my head, thinking, you know, at the time, I hear that's what you have right now. And that's not what I want. They don't match. So I'm not going to demand anything. But would you, can I just go back and get on the list and just wait for a booth or one of these smaller tables? I like the one by the fireplace, just the little two top there. That's great. Um, or something else. Is, is that okay? And she said, it's going to be a long wait, right? I, I mean, this sounds like a silly analogy, but think about in our lives around worthiness. And well, here's this person. They look pretty good. Gosh, do I date them? I've, they're checking all the boxes, but there's just something there. It's not the right table for me. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what it is. So do I say yes? Or do I say, I'm going to actually wait for what I would love, this deep ownership. But it requires people asking. And in my world, what I thought at first, and this was, you know, we go through all this growth, right? My, the first thoughts I had was, I no longer settle for scraps. That was a good nice, first step. Nice, that's good though. <laughs> that's a good first step. And then secondly, you know, uh, and now it's like, no, I'm really clear about what I would like in this situation. I'm not gonna make a demand. You don't have to give it to me or show up. I don't have mm -hmm. to get that table. I'm a choice, so I'm just going to go wait. And this poor, this poor girl, I could see her. She was like so nervous about this. And I, I finally said to her, you can just relax, honey. I'm just going to sit here and have some coffee. I'm good. And I'm going to have a quiet, intimate conversation with one of my friends. It's important to me that I don't want to be in the middle of the restaurant with people walking by. Mm -hmm. She's like, oh, 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 okay. So oh, I she think that this, I'm going to stop you for a second mm -hmm. and kind of, in the story, there's also that component of, you know, that would be great to talk about of where someone really wants you to do what they want you to do. Cause she really wanted to sit you at this table. This is the table that she had, you know, it makes her life easy, you know, but you had another choice, mm -hmm. you know, and it's kind of, you know, weaving the conversation of needs and choices and wants and desires, mm -hmm. you know, for you as well as her and making the whole situation, you know, okay for everybody. Okay. Here's her need mm -hmm. to get the restaurant set, your need to not be in the flow of traffic. Mm -hmm. And then where can that come together? So, you know, there's compromise there. Right. 
And you've just hit on Marshall Rosenberg's one of his most famous things. I can't believe I didn't say this yet. Everyone's needs matter. Everyone's needs matter. When I can look at it that way, I don't, it's like there's enough pie for everybody here. I don't have to do this. And I was thinking, you know, she's trying, her needs are efficiency, order, to keep the restaurant running for peace, ease. Uh, and clearly she wanted to check off the things in order. It was, mm-hmm. it was tough for her to get out of that kind of mindset. Uh, and I had a need for flexibility and, and also peace and quiet and ease and all of those things. So how can we get both of our needs met uh, in the restaurant of life? You know, when we think about restaurants, I grew up in a restaurant mm-hmm. business for 10 years yeah, and you worked too. there. Man, the, 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 the restaurant lessons, we should write a book. You that totally relate, write a book. Right, that relate to boundaries, beautiful boundaries. Who do mm-hmm. I let in? Who do I not? How much time do I spend with this person engaged? Do I have power in this situation? Do I listen to this person because I know that they're a big tipper when I really don't want to? What is that worth to me? How do I, like, oh my goodness. Gosh, that restaurant analogy was a great example. Right? It's the <laughs> restaurant of life. Where am I willing to wait for mm-hmm. this person to come along who uh, is going to not just check boxes for me, but we're going to have a really deep soul connection and it's going to be nice. And am I, or am I going to fill that space? The other juicy part about this is, you know, spiritually, when we fill that space with a placeholder that there's no room for that person, right? So first of all, we have to create a void. The universe doesn't like void. So we want to create a void so that it's an invitation then that this part of my heart is open and available. There's not someone just stuck in there right now, filling a hole. And it doesn't come from a place of desperation, which is another part of that analogy. Mm-hmm. I can wait. I don't need to sit down right this second. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's I funny, lo- oftentimes people come into a restaurant and it's like the need for the hunt for the table. Like we're not out there, you know, catching our food anymore, but we need to catch that table. So we don't starve. <laughs> so all of our needs are met immediately. <laughs> Cracks me up. So ownership you- language is I talk about me and you talk about you. And, I, and then it's a beautiful, it's a completely different way. It's like learning a new language and it takes some work. And it's a completely different way of talking to each other. Marshall Rosenberg's gift was really profound. And it's all based on evidence-based psychology stuff. So great work. Mm-hmm. Jamie, thank you so much. Once again, a great show. My pleasure. Why don't you go ahead and tell everybody how they can get a hold of you, how they can find you? Well, two ways. So my uh, law enforcement business is is huge and now expanding to schools. So if you're a school person uh, and you're having trouble with getting your folks trained, I'm here for you. I can help you with that. Uh, I just had an entire district schedule 42 classes with me, which is beautiful. Uh, we can do two-hour classes, uh, law enforcement. Those two things are at islandconsultingandtraining.com. So www.island, like a little island, I-S-L-A-N-D, trainingandconsulting.com. Um, uh, I'm sorry, islandconsultingandtraining.com, yes. And then mm-hmm. if you want to work with me privately, uh, and I have a private practice, I never work with more than 10 people. Uh, I have two spots available right now, uh, and we do deep dive. I, I'm not interested in working with somebody who wants to stay stuck. Uh, I'm interested in people who want to transform their lives, uh, and let's get to work. I'm incredibly trauma-trained and trauma-informed, and 
it's not your go sit down and have talk therapy in a casual way. It's what's not working for you. Let's identify that. Let's unpack it. Let's look at the patterns. Now, how do you want to pivot? And what would you love? What is your vision for your life? Uh, and I basically figured all that out with some help from some teachers, but also I'm living a life I love. I mean, I'm staring out here at a beautiful farm where I live on an island. It, people live two kinds of lives, life by design or life by default. So I'm really good at helping people figure that out. And that's at tribe525.com, T-R-I-B-E 525, the numbers, .com. You can write me there. You can write me at either place. It's, you'll, it'll both get to me. So if I can be of assistance, but what I would say to people is if you're suffering, go find somebody, go find somebody who can help you end your suffering because life is so beautiful and short. And in this time of this pandemic, we have a rich opportunity to sit back and look at what's really true for me and what would I love in my life? What would I love more of? So thanks for the opportunity, Liz. You're welcome. Beautifully said, Jamie. Thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you everyone for joining me on Raise the Vibe with Liz. Again, I'm your host, Liz Peterson. And remember to get out there and raise the vibe. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you for listening to today's show on Raise the Vibe with Liz. If you like this content and want to support me, please go to Patreon at Raise the Vibe with Liz or click the link in the description of this show. And remember, change starts with you. So get out there and raise the vibe. Thank you, everyone.